the bar we have to break through continues to get higher. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean you have to create more content. It means you have to create better content that matters to your audience. Buyer behavior isn't the same, and the old sales funnel is no longer relevant. So Square 2 Marketing is smashing the funnel and encouraging businesses to think differently about their approach to marketing, sales, customer service, and revenue generation. Join us for season one of Smash the Funnel, the podcast. With our amazing lineup of industry experts, we'll introduce you to the new cyclonic buyer journey, and we'll provide insights and tips on how to optimize your business's approach to sales and marketing. And now for your host, Mike Lieberman, CEO and Chief Revenue Scientist at Square2 Marketing. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Smash the Funnel. This is episode four. And in the last episode, we talked to Franco Valentino. He's the CEO of Narrative SEO. We had a wonderful conversation with him about what it takes to be found and how we're gonna attempt to change the way we grab a prospect's attention in the awareness stage. Today, we're thrilled to have a special guest with us, uh, Matt Hines from Hines Marketing. And what we wanna talk about today and in in today's episode, what some of the differences are between people who are uh, reactive in the awareness stage, like we talked about in the last episode, and those who are proactively looking for education in the education stage. So it's it's a nuance to the conversation, it's a, a slight difference between how we might apply some marketing tactics and we're going to let Matt give us some of his insight in terms of some of the things he's seen in the marketplace and some of the things he's been doing um, as, as prospects start to, start to educate themselves. How do we create marketing that delivers education? What are some of the more successful educational marketing campaigns that might have performed well? And, and how do we really influence people who are getting educated and move them into, into the consideration stage. So Matt, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the first season of Smash the Funnel, episode four. We're really thrilled to have you with us today. It's exciting. I'm excited to, uh, I'm excited to listen to the rest of the episodes, Netflix style. Uh, I'm going to binge listen to the, pod, the rest of the podcast. And nice. uh, yeah, appreciate being here. Nice, nice. That's the idea. So we appreciate having you. So to start, maybe you could just give uh, me and the listeners a little background on uh, you and your your agency and and how you got here and a little bit about your shop, and then we'll dive right into it. How I've gotten here. I I mean, the long story short is this has been a giant mistake. um, I'm a a journalism major from back in the day, worked at a newspaper for a while, went to a PR firm, went to Microsoft, ran marketing for a couple startups, and about 10 years ago, started Heinz Marketing. Uh, I, I think of us as, you know, we, we focus on helping companies build predictable pipeline, not just the email next Tuesday and not just random acts of marketing that many companies do, but really developing a systematic approach uh, to building repeatable, sustainable, uh, you know, a predictable pipeline month after month, quarter after quarter. We do that for B2B companies all over the world in a variety of industries and sizes. Yeah, that's great. Um, I, that that uh, uh, random acts of marketing really resonates with <laughs> me. I feel like it's an epidemic in our yeah. industry. You know, people are just throwing as much tactical stuff against the wall as possible, hoping something sticks. And you know, when we look at clients who come to us from other, they, either they've been doing it themselves or other agencies, it's a lot of what they suffer from. No game plan, no strategy. Just they've tried a lot of different things, and and none of them have really worked. So. Um, I appreciate that perspective. So let's just uh, jump right into this. So at a macro level, 
Tell me what you're seeing going on in the world that's affecting buyer journey, sales, marketing, revenue generation in general. Uh, I did a little research uh, uh, prior to your episode, and I, I mentioned this stat in the, in the very first episode uh, of this season, but I found this stat that Nielsen is reporting that the amount of content we consume on a daily basis has grown from two hours a day in the 1920s to nearly 11 hours a day today. Um, obviously, mobile devices and the huge amount of content that's available is, is contributing to that. And they've also shown that on a daily basis, it's going up about two hours a day um, over the last three years. So clearly, this is this this sheer uh, immense amount of content that's out there is is making our jobs and our certainly our, our clients' jobs of getting their message out there more complicated. So. What do you see going on in the world at a, at a really macroeconomic level that's affecting this? Well, there is certainly a lot more content out there. I'm assuming those 11 hours a day includes Kim Kardashian updates and cat videos and all the rest <laughs> of the crap that we all kind of find ourselves sucked into from time to time. In some cases, for good reason, we need a distraction from, you know, things and that becomes part of entertainment. Fine. But, uh, you know, if we, if we narrow that down to B2B, oh my goodness, you, you know, we have... We have crazy busy buyers that are that are crazier, busier than ever before. Um, I often tell people, think about the Thursday at 2 p.m. test. Like, what are you doing Thursday at 2 p.m.? And how many different balls are in the air that you're trying to manage? Um, you know, in addition to the content you're trying to consume, in addition to the, the topics you're trying to educate yourself about, um, there's a lot more content out there that lets people self-educate. I mean, I, you know, we, uh, you know, we, my wife and I own a 110 year old farmhouse that we've done a lot of the remodeling on our own. I do not have a home improvement background or a contractor background. Trial and error and YouTube have helped me figure out how to do stuff. Um, and we see that in B2B as well. People saying, well, what the heck is ABM? What the heck is AI? What should I be doing around predictive modeling? All these different questions. People don't immediately call vendors and say, well, tell me about your services and how that can solve things for me. They go to the web. They look for podcasts like this. They look for videos. They look for blogs. They download white papers. And so there's a significant portion of the buying journey that is, some people call it anonymous, but it's really more of that sort of self-education phase. Uh, I believe firmly that every brand has an opportunity to partake in every, even the earliest stages of that education process. If they can get out of their own way, stop talking about product and provide real insights and ideas and value added content for prospects. But, um, you know, certainly there's, there's a lot of content out there that's flooding the market, but a lot of it is not great content. So there's a great opportunity for brands and companies and B2B sellers to differentiate and create real value in the marketplace as well. Yeah, I, I actually have to give you some props on your social media strategy. So I, 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 I am partially embarrassed at what our industry is doing to LinkedIn specifically with just the <laughs> dream of, of, of bad videos and, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, horrible content. And I like how you just kind of pose a really quick, short, down and dirty question and get people talking about that. Even if the question's a little controversial, I just appreciate the the, the thought behind it and getting us to kind of think as opposed to trying to build your personal brand and, you know, shoot a video in your car on your way back from a meeting, you're, you're kind of like trying to get us to think a little bit more about what we do. How do you apply that kind of approach for some of your clients or, or do you? Well, I definitely do. I think, um, you know, brand is valuable. The fact that you could build a reputation for something is valuable. Um, you know, I'm, my, my family is all from the Midwest. Um, you know, my parents, even though I grew up in California, my parents taught me Midwestern values of putting your hard hat on every day, 
build value, stay humble, do the work, serve other people. Um, and that served me well as an approach for the last 10 years. And so that there's an element of that approach that ends up part of the content strategy we teach and enable for our clients as well that, you know, I mean, you can become, there can be members of your team that can become not just influencers of influencers, but members of the influencer community. Um, but more important is to understand your buyer, understand your audience, figure out what they need and serve them, provide them with content that makes them better. And when we think of content marketing, I think too often marketers immediately jump to, well, it's white papers and it's formal webinars and it's videos and it's blog posts. No, man. I mean, a content can be a quote. It can be a single stat. It can be, I mean, take what you see in most white papers, strip out the copy and leave in the charts and the captions. Like now you've got a flip book that a C-level, you know, prospect might actually pay attention to. And it's the insights within that that can just be 15 seconds of content that in your prospect's crazy busy world might actually get their attention and not only get their attention, but earn their attention again. If they start to recognize that your brand is consistently churning out good ideas that are snackable, that are easy to access, they're more likely to keep paying attention to you. And I think a lot of, you know, a lot of marketers think of registrations and MQLs as the courtesy of marketing. Eventually you want to get someone into a conversation. Eventually you want to get them qualified as an opportunity. Sure. But it starts the currency you start with, I believe is attention. And that's something you have to earn. It is not something that is given. Yeah, that's a really good point. Trust too, I think is a big part of that. You know, if they don't trust you as a, as a, uh, someone that's going to give them good advice and, and good guidance, and it's hard to kind of get their attention and, and continue that through that buyer journey. Like the, the illustration shows it's so chaotic that it's easy to for them to be distracted with with, with some of the latest or greatest things uh, yep. whether it's right right for them or not well uh, trust precedes trust precedes engagement right. i think it it's it trust comes after attention if you've got someone's attention with something interesting i think subsequent attention subsequent content a body of work of content builds trust because you build a reputation of delivering good content and good value and I think that you have to have an element of that trust, even at a base level, to break through the noise to actually get someone to reciprocate and engage with you. And I think what we're seeing is, you know, not only the world of B2B content goes up, but cat videos and Kim Kardashian and everything else. I mean, the, the bar we have to break through continues to get higher, um, but it doesn't necessarily mean you have to create more content. It means you have to create better content that matters to your audience. Yeah, that's a really great point. Uh, one of the things we talk to our clients a lot about is it's easy to write about you. It's harder to write about your prospects, but in order to get their attention, you really have to write about your prospects and, and not about you. So right. how do you coach your clients to kind of maybe leave behind what's easy and what they've been doing in exchange for something that's a little harder, but what the prospects are looking for in order to, for you to get that attention and get that trust and get that engagement. How do you move them out of their comfort zone around content? Well, I mean, in one, you know, because we've been doing this for a while, not just us and you guys, but I mean, just as an industry, you can, we, there's a lot of good benchmark data and success stories you can point to that show that this, this approach tends to work better over the long term. If you're trying to not just, again, send an email next Tuesday and get a few leads to close your, close, hit your number this month, but you're trying to build that trust and credibility over a period of time, you know, a, a value a content approach works better. I think, you know, putting a mirror in front of prospects works as well. You know, like when we, when someone says, well, you know, I'm, you know, we're thinking about doing these programmatic advertising campaigns, but we're really not sure we're going to get a lot of response from it. And I'm like, well, when's the last time you clicked on a banner ad? Like, it's, you know, you're not, if you're thinking about doing those campaigns, don't think of it as a direct response channel. 
you know, that I earlier used the example of the Thursday at two o'clock test. It's like you sent an email and people didn't respond to it right away. It's like, well, what were you doing when that email went out? You were in the middle of a meeting and you came back and you had 40 unread emails or you checked your phone on your way to your next meeting. When you check email on your phone, your job is not to read, read the email. Your job is to delete as many of those emails as possible. Yeah, so, so I mean, it, it, you sort of think about that crazy busy test and then you sort of put the other mirror in front of someone that says, if someone comes to you and you don't know who they are and you don't have a relationship yet and they want to tell their story first, do you ever take the time to listen to that? I mean, it may be like 10, 15 years ago, maybe you did because I mean, you're like, oh, I have time, maybe I'll read this. Today, if, if, if you find someone that isn't prioritizing your story ahead of, of theirs, I mean, every one of us as prospects, we care about ourselves, we care about our priorities, we care about our problems. To break through, you have, you have to, as a vendor, as a supplier, you have to care about their story first before you earn the right for them to care about yours. And I think that's an important point for people to understand. And I think too often, like I think about, think about the SDR model, right? Where, you know, someone downloads a white paper. Hey, thanks for downloading the white paper. Would you like to see a demo? Like no one answers yes to that question. You have to find out why they wanted the white paper. What about that topic is pressing to them right now? So you have to have a different conversation first before you can earn the demo, if that context makes sense to them. So three steps sometimes are faster than one to get to where you want to go. Um, and I know that math is suboptimal for people with spreadsheets that want to work more quickly than that. But I don't care what your spreadsheet says. You're, you're dealing with a different market. And if you're not willing to play the prospects game, they will go and trust someone else. Yeah, it's really counterintuitive, your comment about the SDR. Like they want to close deals and the person who they're reaching out to isn't nowhere near that stage of their own buyer journey. So right. do, do you also help your clients kind of align the marketing that's going on with the story that the sales teams are telling and talk to us a little bit about that that part of it oh absolutely those have to be aligned i think it's you know in large organizations or well-established organizations like changing that part of the culture can be difficult um you know not just getting alignment around a particular story but teaching an sdr team that you can't go right for the throat in every phone call there's two two rules that i'll typically start with with a new inside sales team we're working with first rule is in that first call you have with a prospect unless they ask a specific question you're not not allowed to talk about your product or service and sometimes we'll use this literally sometimes we just use this sort of as a conversation starter to say okay if you weren't allowed to bring up the demo if you weren't allowed to talk about what you do as a business what conversation would you have with that prospect that could earn the right for them to want to talk to you again I mean, think about that as your elevator pitch. Your elevator pitch, your elevator ride is not 40 stories tall. It is two. So what are you going to say that gets a prospect to say, walk with me and, and, and tell me more? It's not about you. It's going to be about how well you understand their problem. It's an insight or a reframe, you know, in the challenger sales CEB parlance of a problem they have to help challenge their status quo. So rule number one for inside sales, that first call, don't talk about your product or service. Rule number two is when that prospect hangs up the phone, I want them to lean back in their chair and say, wow, that was fantastic. I would have paid for that. I would have paid for that time. I would have paid for that insight. I would have paid for the new information I have that makes me think differently about my business. Now that new insight doesn't immediately make them want to get a demo. It doesn't immediately make them, it might not immediately make them go from this is a need to have or nice to have to a need to have. But if it earns you the right to say, okay, walk with me and tell me more, you earn the next call. You earn the next conversation to ultimately get that, that prospect qualified and into your pipeline. Mm -hmm. So it is, you know, it is, it's easy to sit sort of in this in, in podcast environment and talk about this. But I think as you well know, you know, going to an inside sales team, going to a VP of sales 
who has been measured by the leadership team, by the board for X period of time on number of appointments to field sales to go and say, well, I want you to have this different conversation. Um, that is not an immediate switch of a strategy. That is a process internally. And I think having that kind of alignment between sales and marketing around a customer centric approach, that is a bigger cultural change than most companies give it credit for. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I love the two points. The second point seems especially hard because you're really going to have to arm them with some uh, concepts to make sure that they add value, right? Because they're, they're really more like process managers than uh, someone who might be able to listen to what the prospect is saying and give them advice or guidance or some, some recommendations that they could take away and apply at their company. So to your point, they would have paid for that advice and value. So do you, do you have to train them up on that aspect of it also, or, or generally they, they capable of, of, of giving that higher level consulting uh, in a pretty early SDR call? Well, I, I, some reps are, some reps aren't. I think, you know, the def, you know, the, the nature of most SDR teams is you've got, you know, fresh out of college or recently out of college kids that, you know, maybe well mean, maybe they'll have some raw skills, but don't have the at bats on their own naturally to have a consultative call or a consultative conversation. So I think, you know, look, there's no such thing as a sales script, right? I mean, you can, you can script a email, you can script a voicemail, you get on a phone live with the prospect. Like it's a, it's a version of improv. You got to know what you want to say. You got to know where you want to go with that. But I think instead of saying, thanks for downloading the white paper, would you like to see a demo? I'd love to hear more SDRs say, as I mentioned before, like what, what about that topic was interesting? Like what, what, what's going on in your business right now that made that topic present? prescient why in god's name would you put your put your email address on our spam list in exchange for a pdf what's going on mm -hmm. and and you can ask that question to sort of narrow the topic and then uh, the other angle i've seen work really well is to say you know what um i get i get a chance to talk to people in your position on a daily basis and when i ask them what keeps them up at night i tend to hear the same three things list those three things off to them say now did one of those just make you a little sweaty just thinking about it is one of those are really prescient right now I mean, I think, you know, a lot of people say like, oh, go ask your prospect what keeps them up at night. No, no, no. You should know your target. You should know your persona as well enough. You should be telling them what should be keeping them up at night. And when you can introduce an idea and then quantify that somehow, provide an insight that shows them what that means. I mean, that's the, that's the essence of challenging someone's status quo. And it, it, that can absolutely earn the, okay, walk with me and tell me more. It gets that prospect committed to the next part of the conversation as opposed to being shoehorned into an, a demo appointment that they're not going to show up for. Yeah, that's great advice and, and a really good point too around uh, earning the uh, opportunity to take them to the next level. So uh, it's also a great segue because one of the things we find is, and I'm sure you'll appreciate this, you know, clients are generally – pretty impatient and they want those sales ready leads and they want the marketing programs and the stuff that we're doing for them to produce those sales ready leads. How do you uh, get them the sales ready leads that they need to be like, yep, you guys are doing your job while you're teaching these SDRs to be consultative and patient and, you know, understanding what the, what the project is really looking for so that they can personalize that experience. How do you balance those, those two requirements? Well, first of all, I think you have to understand those are two things. You know, I think, you know, Gartner a year and a half ago did some sales readiness research and they found that three to 4% of most B2B markets, three to 4% of prospects in most B2B markets are what they call uh, actively buying, right? They have a need, they know they have a need, they're looking for a solution. Gartner then identified this group of 46% of, of, of prospects that are what they call poise. Like they have a need, 
they just aren't pursuing it right now. Like, I mean, I think we all have things that, oh, I know I need to fix that. I know I need to work on that, but it's priority number 12 on my list. And so I'm just, I'm poised, but I'm not working on it right now, right? So our job as sellers is to figure out how to reframe an issue or to challenge the status quo enough that that, pro- that priority number 12 becomes a priority number one, two, or three that might actually get done and get, 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 get budgeted, right? So I, so I think that if you can get there, uh, if, if, you can, if you can help your customers get from, you know, poised to actively buying, you're in better shape. But I think, you know, especially early stage companies that have to hit their number this month or this quarter that fall into the trap of, you know, the email next Tuesday and the tactical marketing that has to generate pipeline right away. Um, a, that's expensive. You know, B, it's kind of needle in the haystack hoping you're going to find that three or 4% of prospects. Um, and it is not sustainable. Uh, you're, you're, you're running a sprint at a time when you need to be running a marathon. So I think it is, it is, it is challenging for most organizations to start to run both programs in parallel to feed the beast today, to do what they have to do to try to find those three to 4%, but also build the foundation of, you know, what, what we call the predictable pipeline, right? It's having the right strategy in place. It's having the right understanding of the buying journey in place. It's having the right tools and processes in place to really prioritize building that trust and credibility at the beginning of the process that over time will subsidize your, uh, your sales and marketing efforts. I mean, I've been in business now for almost 10 years. Um, I've never had a salesperson. We've been able to grow in part because of, you know, the content we create and the networking we do and the fact that we're building relationships with prospects well before we need them or they need us. Um, and so we're able to generate opportunities out of that, that we didn't, that if we would have pushed for three years ago, six years ago, four months ago, the prospect wouldn't have been ready. Mm-hmm. And I think there's, there's an absolutely a way to do both. You know, you can, you can have means to which you can find and seek and acquire the three to 4% that are ready to buy. But if you aren't investing in the 46% that are poised, if you're not investing in building that relationship long-term, you will always be sprinting. You will burn out your people trying to do that. You will spend way too much money going after it. And there is no level of predictability and scalability in that model. Um, and so you're always sort of just hoping that you're going to have to, that you're going to come across those short-term prospects on a regular basis. That is no way to build a sustainable business. Yeah. Hope is not a strategy, right? Correct. Right. Do you, have, do you see this as like the marathon versus the sprint? Do you see more companies understanding the marathon? Could, could we, I would love for you to say yes, but I'm afraid you're going to say no, but do you see this as a trend where more companies are starting to get that I have to take a long-term approach to this? Well, there's a difference between getting it and, and executing on it. I, I'm, you know, more and more, uh, I think marketers and marketing leaders recognize that they need to be building that long-term relationship with prospects. They need to be building that as a, diff- at a competitive differentiation that serves the business long-term. So I think people get that, but then they go back to the office and they have to hit their number and the VP of sales says, we need more leads. And the head of, head of marketing or the head of the company says, I know you want to spend money on content. I want to, you know, all this, all this other stuff, but we need leads now. Right. And so the reality of most businesses is just the fire to really hit the current number. And I, so if the, if it's the CMO or the VP of marketing fighting on their own to create those parallel paths, nine times out of 10, they will lose. You, you have to get to a point, and I know that it's easier said than done for sure, but get to a point where your leadership and your board understands and recognizes the value and need and urgency of creating that long-term approach to prospect, prospect building and education. Yeah, no question about it. 
I know you got to run. I have one more question, and this is related to technology. One of the things that is making our jobs even more complicated is the sheer amount of technology that is presenting itself in the sales and marketing space. So can you talk to us a little bit about that? How do you see that impacting what your clients are doing, what you do? Have you heard about any interesting new tools that, that we might uh, be, want to be aware of? Uh, talk to us a little bit how technology is impacting what we do. Well, I don't see how you can create a predictable, scalable pipeline without technology today. Um, but I also think technology is a crutch for companies that treat it as the strategy. Technology is not your strategy. It's an implementer of your strategy. So, you know, in our tiny little company, we have a pretty healthy MarTech stack, right? We use Marketo, we use Salesforce, we use Visible for attribution. Uh, we use a handful of little tools that help us with other things. We use Outreach uh, for sales engagement. We use a tool called SiftRock that takes, uh, you know, auto responses to emails and auto updates our database based on that. So we've got a bunch of tools that have specific goals that, that drive automation as well as predictability and scalability of our pipeline. But I think a lot of companies look at shiny objects of technology and say, oh, that would be cool. Oh, that would be cool. Oh, that would be interesting. They end up buying too much, not using it. And then that technology becomes not a, a productivity driver it becomes counterproductive to actually getting things done. So, you know, the, I, I think it's important for companies to understand their strategy first, commit to the strategy first. And, and, and in many cases, before you buy a tool, have a phase one, a proof of concept phase that is done manually. Uh, people say, well, what's the minimum technology stack for account-based marketing? And my answer is a phone, an email account, and a spreadsheet. Right. right. I mean, you can do account-based marketing just by right. segmenting your audience. Right. Here's the messaging for these. Here's how I'm going to build consensus among the internal buying committee. Here's roles between sales and marketing at different stages. Like that is just a spreadsheet. And you can do that very manually. Now that doesn't scale. So to scale that you're going to need tools. And I, I, I could give that exact same example with, you know, doing, you know, lead follow-up. I can do it manually, but if I want to do it at scale, I need something like an outreach or sales loft. So commit to the strategy first knowing you will evolve that strategy over time, but the strategy should dictate the tools and technology you need. That's awesome, Matt. Thanks so much. It was really uh, great to catch up with you and talk a little bit about it. Uh, really appreciate your perspective and experience in what we do. And uh, thanks for fighting the good fight with, with, with us. And uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, oh man, it was, it was a pleasure. This is a lot of fun. I look forward to listening to the rest of the rest of the episodes. That's great. So uh, just to wrap up uh, episode four, so we talked about the education stage today. In our next episode, we're going to talk about consideration and what prospects are doing when they kind of recognize that they have an issue. And now they're trying to decide which uh, solution might be right for them. And we're going to talk to Dave Gerhardt, VP of Marketing at Drift, and his uh, content strategist team lead, Sonia Jacobs, also from Drift. So uh, their chat tool is really interesting in terms of taking prospects who maybe are thinking about what you do and drawing them into the sales conversation by being there immediately for them, giving them some uh, fast response to some of their questions or giving them some of the co coaching or consulting that, that Matt talked about in real time while they're on the web. Remember a lot of our customers and our prospects are y getting younger and they're used to dealing with tools and getting uh, feedback immediately, getting questions answered immediately. So uh, Drift is one of those tools that is uh, helping uh, enhance that uh, buyer journey for them. So again, Matt, thanks a lot. And uh, to all the listeners, uh, thanks for joining us and look forward to uh, episode five uh, coming soon to your downloadable device.